Welcome to the Divergent Zone. I'm your guide today and my name is Katrina. I am so excited to have my friend James and his mom Laurieanne here. I cannot express how excited I was when my friend Renee, who we will meet at a later podcast, um, introduced me to James. He just was like everything I dream for, for all the neurodiverse children and families I work with. And the, the confidence James has, there's no like shame or anything around his autism. He is well-spoken. He can tell you what he needs and he's not afraid to ask for it. And that's what I, that's my dream for every, every child is to just express what they need and to be given it. So James, I love that you, you brought your mom because I know she played a gigantic role in this. And let's just start right at the beginning, Lorianne. What was it like? Well, we knew that something was uh, different about James from pretty much the very first. Even as an infant, he would scream in, as if in pain at the sound of live music. And so we couldn't sing or even recorded music, really. We couldn't sing much at home and... Uh, and it was it was really where we started our journey. And when he learned how to walk and then run, uh, he would run really hard, like pound his feet against the floor. And then he would throw himself down on the floor and throw himself into our furniture really hard. And uh, and we were lucky enough to be living in a place where we could get a very early diagnosis. And when they told us there's some sensory issues and uh, autism at play here, we started doing research because my husband and I are both scientists and we're just going to research the heck out of it. So we read lots of books. We got connected with other families and we really started the journey there. So, so James, I'd love to bring in what you said when we first chatted, when I asked you, what is the number one thing you would tell parents that, uh, that have a new diagnosis? Uh, knowledge is uh, re really helpful. And uh, um, I think that one of the most important things is to uh, be able to build up that awareness of um, that is of you know your child's aut in in your child of their autism and um know sort of how their autism works so that um when you're um how, how do i say this um so that i uh, can can we edit this part out? I'm, I'm having trouble. Okay, thanks. Oh. Right, right. Well, I think one of the key things is uh, that the my favorite quote is that when you have met an autistic person, you've met that autistic person. And that autism and neurodivergence in general displays in many different ways to many different people. And so really being able to know and understand your kid and what their needs are and where they are at and the kinds of things that trigger them is really super important. You, you want to make sure that you 
uh, push them a little bit, but not so much that you trigger that meltdown response yes. because then nothing gets through. And one of the most important things I've learned is uh, that awareness of how sensory overload feels to me and what kind of things um, cause me to go into sensory overload. So that when I start to hear, you know, all of the sounds into in the room start to sort of blend into this almost kind of sonic ocean of just one sound that I can be like, oh, uh, I'm going into sensory overload right now. I need to, I need to exit the situation or uh, go to a quieter place or otherwise, you know, um, get out of this currently overstimulating um, environment or situation. And that's really important because it allows me to realize that that's happening before it actually happens and before I am fully overwhelmed so that I can still, you know, finish up, you know, what I'm currently doing, you know, or uh, say, or let my friends or my um, co-workers know, hey, I need to uh, step out for a couple minutes um, because I'm getting overwhelmed so that I can leave the situation in, so that I can leave the situation in a positive manner um, before I am completely overwhelmed and can't really function well enough to do that. That's powerful for you and for the people around you, right? What, right? It's, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just what we do, right? We all have different coping mechanisms. Some people eat licorice. Some people do you know what I mean. Some people leave the room. We all have our coping mechanisms. And it's great that you became aware that this is what it feels like. And Lorianne, can you speak to how you help James get to the place where he's like, oh, that's what that is. And this is what I need to do. Right. Well, one of the things that we really focused on is giving him a lot of tools for his, his toolbox. So one of the things that we would do would be to expose him to a new situation, but we would do a lot of prep in advance. We would talk about what the situation might look like. We would talk about the different exit strategies that were possible. And we always, always, always gave him permission to advocate for himself and let us know what his needs were. And that was super important for his development, I feel, is that permission to say, hey, uh, this is not working out for me. But one of the other things that I feel like we also did was get uh, was was help him reach an understanding of other people's needs as well. Because sometimes people who do a lot of self-advocation do so at the detriment of everybody else in the room. And so one of the things that was really uh, important for us was to teach James, okay, here are your exit strategies, but here are exit strategies that will work for neurotypical people to be able to understand and, and be able to work with. Empowering. 
First, I want to say you're just empowering him. And that's probably why he has a lot of the confidence he has today. You're saying, I heard your words and I respect your words. Okay, let's do that. And by even by doing that and modeling it to the, the world around you, that's showing them that that's okay. And that, that he does know what he needs and that he does have a say in the matter. Because like, uh, like I've said many times to many parents, you can read a thousand books, you can do a million webinars, and all these people have a million letters after their names, but no one's going to know your child as well as you do. Right, right. And I think that was a big decision in why we wanted to homeschool James, because we wanted to be a part of that process. And nobody will ever know him as well as we do. And so I felt that making that, uh, you know, those accommodations would be best if we did those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, going to, a village home education resource center was a really, a really great decision, uh, for my personal development. I found, uh, the space it provided to be, um, incredibly helpful to my, uh, development. Um, it was a space and it's a, a space where I could just be myself and uh, the freedoms of homeschooling and the freedoms uh, of village home was something that was really helpful to me because it allowed us to ease more easily make accommodations for my autism and to um, and it was a space where I could learn how to, you know, regulate my autism and how to, you know, learn better how to uh, interact with the world without having my autism uh, necessarily demonized or treated as like a horrible thing. Mm -hmm. it, it's, a, it's a very open, accepting environment and and like you've said before we all kind of have our our weirdness it was a, a place can you share your philosophy on on why like homeschool and and, and what like that was just beautiful i'd love you to share it yes uh yeah so on uh, one point i made before is that um i think that there's a, a really tragic misunderstanding that goes on um, where people uh, read, read statistics about um, the higher uh, a percentage of, say, like, or autism or anxiety or depression in homeschooled people. But the truth is, is that it's not that aut a depression, it's not that homeschooling causes depression or causes autism or anxiety. It's that um, autism causes homeschooling and depression causes and anxiety cause homeschooling. It's that um, people with 
who are neurodivergent or who have mental disorders or who have uh, difficulties like that are is don't really fit in or aren't a uh, good fits for the traditional public school system and so they need to pursue other options or they end up pursuing other options that will be healthier or allow their child to thrive and figure out what they need to do to be able to thrive. Yeah. I found that I've been teaching a village home for about 13 years and I would say well over half of my students are on the spectrum or have other neurodivergences that make homeschooling such a perfect option for them. And it's not that public schools don't have resources or uh, people that are specially trained because none of us at Village Home are specially trained for uh, uh, neurodivergent populations. It's just that with the small class sizes and the much more personal attention and the fact that the parents are usually right there on campus, whether they're in the classroom or just down the hall, it makes it a lot easier for kids to work on the supports and then being able to fade those supports over time uh, as the kids get more and more confident. And I think it provides a much better avenue for, um, for neurodivergent kids to be able to uh, meet one another and to swap stories. And I, I love the, the hallway conversations between kids. They're like, I have this. Well, I've got this. Wow, that's really cool. What, what do you do with that? Okay, all right, yeah. you know. And, um, and, yeah, that's. You have lots of superpowers, don't you? Yes, I do. So, um, and it was a place where we could, where we can um, learn how to embrace that and how to, and we could use those supports that you talked about and then learn how to, you know, fade, uh, fade out those supports as, you know, the kids mature and also how to transition to more and how to transition to more portable supports or more sort of sk internal skill-based supports. Uh, and one of the big things that, and one of the uh, big areas that I got those supports from was I think theater. Uh, I remember I uh, found, I took a theater class uh, at Village Home um, when I was, I don't know, eight, eight nine, eight, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I fell in love with it, um, really, truly. And I found that, and I think that a theater, the sort of uh, skills you learn in theater have been very helpful in, uh, have been very helpful for me uh, in learning how my autism works and how to uh, regulate my autism in a healthy manner. Um, for example, um, learning scripts and uh, practicing uh, the lines from a script 
helped me with my uh, speaking difficulties when I was younger. I used to sort of start and uh, like restart my sentences over and over again because uh, I wasn't happy with the way I was phrasing things. But I wouldn't finish my sentences before I did that, so it was very difficult for people to listen to me because I had trouble communicating. But being able to uh, speak words that other people had written uh, before me and for me was really helpful in helping me practice that. And also the sort of, and also the sort of awareness of yourself and your body that you use for theater uh, to take on the mannerisms of a character that you're playing on the stage really helped me in learning sort of awareness of how I was standing or how I was sitting, um, which really helps me in masking my autism when I am in a less open and affirming space, or if I am in a highly professional environment where I need to, you know, like act, you know, portray the character of a professional person rather than the always learning and um, uh, imperfect people we all are inside. <laughs> I was going to say you, you, you nailed it. I don't think big professional business people have it all together. They just put their mask on too. <laughs> right? And one of the things I love about theater is that it's such an accepting space. And theater has always been a very, very accepting space. And, you know, theater is really the very first place where LGBTQ plus people were accepted. And so it, it goes to show that neurodiverse people are highly accepted in theater. And one of my best remembrances, remember when you did Desperate Hours and yeah. uh, what did you ask the stage managers for backstage? Uh, oh, I don't quite recall. What was it? Well, you wanted a space to pace. Oh, right. Yeah, I was like, okay, is there, is there like going to be a uh, space like backstage where I can um, pace when I'm backstage? And they're like, oh, yeah, there's um, this sort of section here, sort of um, out of the way and not so that I'm not like in the way of the stage managers or the stage hands. So that was really helpful. Right. And so, you know, being able to be aware that pacing is one of the things that he does to calm himself and that he needed to ask for space and that, uh, that he needed to make sure that, um, that it was out of the way and all of that kind of stuff was really important. The other thing that, that theater can bring for, for neurodiverse, especially those on the autism spectrum, because reading body language, facial expression can be really challenging. But when you have to admit those things and do it yourself, and you learn how to do that, not only do you, like you say, James, learn to mask and be like who you need to be in that situation, but you also get to recognize it in other people. 
Yes. Well, one of the things that we did from very, very early on, and it always drove me crazy when parents would be like, no screen time for kids. And I was like, well, screen time actually saved my kiddo. Um, but we would watch yeah, <laughs> we would watch shows and then we would pause them and talk about the feelings and interactions of the different characters. And we watch like that's so Raven and we would pause it and say, what is she feeling? What does her face say? And we would talk through those things so that he would be able to learn how to recognize those kinds of um, secondary communication devices. That's why I love the Disney short films. They have a, no words whatsoever. And you have to like, and they're really animated. So you, you have, it, it's easier to make sense of what's happening in those little, those short little videos. They're short, they don't, they're funny. And, and it's just long enough to keep the kids attention. So I, I totally get that and appreciate that because that's huge. It really is. And it's, and it's a space to learn those kinds of things uh, that is low risk and low danger. And so that when they go into higher uh, danger situations, I don't want to use the word danger, but, you know, um, more real intense situations, situations or yeah. more like, yeah, real situations, I would have that knowledge and that practice to be able to recognize that in other people. Mm -hmm. And that helped me a lot. Yep. And you have a... Yes, and that's... Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> I know she 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 just gave me my cue line um, <laughs> to use a theater word, uh, and that helped me a lot in building what I like to call my translation matrix, which it's sort of how I visualize all of the knowledge that I've gained uh, about how people work, and this was an another uh, place where Village Home really helped me was it provided a space where um, I could ask questions of like, well, uh, what does, or what do you mean by that? Or um, does what I'm saying make sense? Where it was e much easier for me to um, build up this kind of knowledge. And my translation matrix is full of things like, you know, when you want to, you know, greet somebody, this is what you say. You say, like, hello, how are you doing? Um, and that's a really helpful uh, sort of starter question to open up a conversation. And, you know, when people start saying, oh, it's... It's been uh, lovely to see you again. Uh, hope we can also. I hope we can uh, make a time to talk later. That's one of those uh, things where what they really mean is I like. Uh, I need to go or I need to exit the conversation. So and that's one polite way there, uh, and that's a polite way to end the conversation or to signal that uh that you need to end the conversation so it's little things like that that i had to learn matrix being gigantic and continuously growing so 
Can I ask what it looks like? Is it just a big document? Is it like, I envision it one day being an app where you could do things? Like I have all these great visions of where this could go. Think, think of it as a big sort of structure of, of like light that where sort of like a computer, sort of like a computer circuit circuit where it's full of like if then statements of when somebody says this this is what they mean or when somebody says or when somebody makes like this look or you know this expression that this is what they're trying to signal or um and if you want to and full of like if then statements like if you want to talk to somebody then you first you know walk up to them and match velocities with them if they're walking to a specific location ask uh, hey do you have time to chat yeah or you can see this it's beautiful it's it's like you say it's a gigantic choose your own adventure or right if they say if their words say this and their body language says this they probably it probably means this and <laughs> I, I can see how it can get really complex is how how awesome he is about asking for feedback because what he'll say is he'll look at your face and he'll say i'm i i'm thinking that this is happening this way and uh, is that really what you're thinking? Yeah, there have been a couple of times where uh, I've asked my, where uh, my mother has, you know, given me like a, a look or a glance and I'll be like, oh, was, was there subtext behind that? <laughs> and she'll be like, oh, no, actually, I was just, I was just looking at you. Uh, but sometimes she'll be like, yeah, actually you were, you were being uh a little loud or a little excited in that conversation and um i and you needed to sort of bring the volume down a bit because sometimes i i'm still learning awareness of how loud i'm being or uh, the level of volume i have me too my friend uh, and so me too learning. when i get excited <laughs> my decimal levels go up and up and my my friends use what i tell the kids Inside voice, cat. Inside voice. <laughs> I, yep. I relate well exactly. to that, James. Right. So, well, and it's been awesome to see him mature and grow and have such a supportive group of highly yes. neurodivergent and friends as well. That's one major aspect that Village Home has really helped me is in making friends where I... You know, I'll, a comment, you know, making friends is commonly cited as, you know, one thing that autistic people struggle with. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie that that was tough. That was something I also had difficulty with. You know, there's a good bit of truth to that stereotype. But Village Home provided me with a sort of meeting place where there was a lot of other people like me and who were weird like me. And it was a space where we could be weird and that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, the focus was, at, you know, the focus with, you know, me and with, you know, my parenting 
and with Village Home has always been, you know, how do we regulate this in a healthy manner rather than how do we not do this at all? Mm, and yeah. how do we, you know, and focus and my focus has always been how do I regulate my autism in a healthy manner in a way that, you know, works for me and the space I'm in um, rather than how do I protect how do I not be autistic? And I think that's powerful. Uh, Having right. a space where you don't have to mask mm-hmm. is huge, yeah. right? Just and to be yourself and be accepted so that when you do have to put on that mask to navigate the world out there, it's a little bit more mm-hmm. doable. It's like you've taken care of yourself yeah. and, and you're confident in who you right. are. And you're like, I just got to navigate this crazy world out here. And if I put this mask on, it's going to make it a little easier. Yeah. Right. And, um, I had the, ch- and, vil- and I had the opportunity, you know, with Village Home and places like it to make friends with people who were, you know, tolerant and accepting of my autism and, uh, friends that, you know, I was, you know, tolerant and accepting of their neurodiversity as well. And personally, I feel that I've had an amazing opportunity to socialize and to have this socialization with people like me um, and people that, you know, I enjoy the company of where uh, that I don't think I would have had access to in public school. And, you know, people often worry about, you know, homeschooled people and whether or not they're getting the proper socialization. When, honestly, I feel like that's based on um, inaccurate assumptions because, you know, there, admittedly, there are some homeschoolers who really do stay at home and, you know, not teach their child about the world. But our style of homeschooling and the style of homeschooling at Village Home and that um, we practice has been always about the home style rather than actually staying at home. On the contrary, we were never home much when I was a kid. (laughs) We were always going from place to place. We were going from Village to up to village home uh, when there was only when there wasn't a Salem location or coming back from village home or going to act a uh, theater rehearsal or going to a theater class and all of that and that's, stuff. And that's, that's a huge activities. difference when people think of homeschool they think of at home but really you lots of people right. use homeschool funding and that homeschool model to do community learning, like a learning community. World schooling. Yeah, we call it yeah. world schooling, you know, that we're, we're learning out in the world like yeah. people do, like like all of us adults do. Uh, very few of our, very little of our learning as adults happens inside of a classroom. And, <clears throat> and so why does that have to be so for kids? And granted, when you have a thousand kids to worry about, um, sitting them all in a classroom and, and talking to them is, is easiest, but 
I have yes. one, you know, to, to worry about or a few. And, uh, and one of the things I really loved about it too, was that um, socialization happens across yes. all age the levels. Right. And so, sure. yeah, you know, because that, that couch behind the office in Salem would house, you know, 18 year olds and six year olds and everything in between. Cause they were all playing Minecraft or they were all watching some anime or something together. And so they would find common ground even across the ages. Yeah, because, you know, there are, you know, some kids who are, you know, more mature yeah. than other kids of their age. And, you know, there are some kids that are like a little less mature and that's just normal. They're not really ahead or behind. They're just, just normal human yeah. variants. Mm -hmm. That's just how human, how different humans and, and are you, different. And especially when you find like neurodivergence and, and neurodivergent uh, kids, you can find like they're really good at something or really high in, we would say mature up here, but in another area of their life, they're, they're still at this level, which has nothing wrong. It's just like this part of their brain grew way much fast, way faster. Those neurons like connected way faster than these neurons over here. That's all. Well, and one of the things that we always did when he was growing up is that we discovered within ourselves that his autism didn't need to be cured. Right. There is nothing that needs to be cured. There's nothing wrong with him. Um, it is just his brain thinks differently than my brain and it's yeah. okay. His hair is a different color than mine, you know, all of those things. And so to celebrate and rejoice that, we often say autism for the win. Yeah, autism for the win. <laughs> and, you know, learning and, you know, that's another uh, part of village home and homeschooling is that it allowed us the freedom to embrace that. And it allowed me to, to really embrace what I is and really allowed me to sort of take the initiative and take action to really um, refine my strengths and superpowers and also to you know learn how to shore up or counter or bypass my, the things that I have less aptitude for or the things I struggle with and how to structure my life so that I'll have support for the things that I won't, that I struggle with. And, you know, for example, it, and, you know, it just gave me a chance to really um, embrace my autistic magic. Yeah. Like um, reading, for example, I read very well and, um, I remember that was the main impetus for us, for you pulling me out of homes, out of public schooling was uh, when the teacher uh, told me not to read to the other kids because it was making them feel bad. Aww. Now, technically, I don't remember this because I was very young at the time, but this is a story she's right. mentioned a couple of times. 
right? And we even continue to get speech therapy services from the school district, even when we were homeschooling. And I remember sitting in one of the IEP meetings, one of those horrible IEP meetings, and I feel so much for parents who go through them twice a year for their with their kids, or sometimes three or four times a year, depending on uh, how much support they need from the school system, and not and being told that you can't do this yourself. Like we're experts, and <laughs> you know, I think of that one scene from <clears throat> from the Meaning of Life where the woman's having the baby, and she looks at the doctor and says, "What am I supposed to do?" And he says, "Nothing. You're not qualified." You know. And, and that's how I feel when I, every time I go to these IEP meetings, they would be like, oh, yeah. you can't do anything. You're not qualified. And I'd be like, no, I, I actually know my kid. And when I told them one time that he could, that he was reading uh, Harry Potter at, um, at the ripe young age of five, and they told me there was no way. They said, oh, he isn't actually reading. He's just looking at the pages. And I'm like, Okay, watch this. So I opened the book to the page, right? And she was like, well, I'm sure he has that book memorized. And so, like, I grabbed a book off of their shelf, which was like a professional book, and I opened it up, and I said, here, read this. And he's reading away, and they were like, oh. oh. <laughs> and I remember I learned a lot of the different, a lot of vocabulary uh, from just reading and I wouldn't always and I remember uh, when I read when I was reading uh, my uh, parents uh, Dungeons and Dragons books I didn't know at first what the word proficient meant right. but I just looked up and asked my dad what does proficient mean and he and he said oh it's when you're good at something or you know when you're skilled at doing it and then I was and, and then I knew what proficient right. meant. Mm -hmm. I think I actually used that um, in some kind of meeting or some kind of activity that I was mm -hmm. doing at a public school. And I have this vague memory. It was, it was when I was really young, but I have this vague memory of the teacher sort of giving me a, a double yeah, a funny look. look. <laughs> what? I guess in advance. <laughs> when I when I said, "Oh, I'm I'm more proficient at using a pencil than a pen." <laughs> oh, I love those kinds of stories. So when we what, to sum it kind of all up, like the confident, amazing person you are today, James, has come from a lot of dedication from your from your parents being able to meet you at like what Lorianne you will say is baby steps, small little exposures, always giving him the opportunity to say, I'm done, I'm out, and, give, and empowering him, getting him into a school where you could stay close by so we still felt safe, so you could model for the world around him what he needs, and allowing James to build those skills. And like you say, James, they were external. It was mom co, what I would call co-regulation, mom helping you, which led to self-regulation. Now you develop those tools for yourself and could employ them and use them in the world around you. Now you've, you've gone to the, the learning community or the world school, as you would call it, and now you're at university. You've developed a gigantic translation matrix and, 
and you're going to school to be a psychologist, I believe, or a therapist. Yes. Yes, I'm uh, going to, I'm uh, looking to become a therapist. I, I want to be a therapist when I grow up. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so you've, and um, I, because, you know, it's something that I feel I have a talent for. Uh, I, I've always tried, I try to be, you know, a kind person and I've been, uh, and even since I was a young child, uh, I would like, uh, start crying when another kid was crying, uh, when I was younger. And I try to always be a listening ear, um, to my friends when they're having, you know, trouble with, uh, their life. And so it's something that, uh, as well gives me a lot of, not necessarily fun because it's sometimes, you know, the stuff they're going through is really rough, but it's very fulfilling. You know, I feel like I'm really, you know, helping and uh, contributing good to the world mm -hmm. by doing this. And so, yeah, it's, and uh, like I mentioned before, it's something I feel like I have an aptitude for. Um, and I think it's something that the world needs. Mm -hmm. yeah. Has prepared you for it because you're not this outsider making assumptions. You really have lived the life of not being understood a lot of the time and built those skills to be understood. And I think that's a powerful place to come from. Yeah. And I think the, one of the biggest misunderstandings I feel about autism in general, well, besides the fact that it needs to be cured, uh, you know, because somebody said one time to me, it was a parent and they said uh, it was about their own kid. They didn't realize that, you know, James um, had uh, autism as well. And they said, well, you wouldn't wish autism on your worst enemy would you and i was like well actually uh it's really not bad that's a huge misunderstanding but one of the other mis big misunderstandings is that autism is about not having feelings but i've discovered in knowing so many autistic kids that it's actually they overfeel and they are over empathetic and they are, but they don't know what to do with it and they don't know how to process it. And because it all comes in at once um, <clears throat> and because they're not able, their brains aren't able to regulate the input, uh, I think they're just overwhelmed by the emotion and by the amount of empathy that they're receiving uh, into themselves. And so I, I'm always one to say, you know, yeah, that whole autism kids don't feel anything that is That's a whole bunch of baloney. And in some ways they still feel and sometimes they apply meanings to things in a way that we would never that that negatively impact them. Right. So because we're applying meaning in, in every situation to everything in our world and it's through our experiences that allow us to apply these meanings to things. And when you've grown up in, in, a, in a world that didn't understand you, you get all these negative meanings for things when you didn't understand that world. And 
right? And I I think that that um, that autistic kids are super honest yeah. and super genuine and super loving and giving. And I am so grateful that we have gotten to know this young man. Me too. I am you and like I said, you inspire me. This is what I want for every child, I, regardless of their neural makeup, to be comp, feel safe, feel confident to speak up for what they need, and just really genuinely connect with a few people in their world. Yeah, and you know, I've I feel that you know because of. And because of, you know, learning to regulate my autism rather than right. cure it, because of the um, healthy homeschooling uh, we've done and, you know, the and how uh, I've gotten, you know, support for what, um, uh, and because I've gotten the support I need, I've been able to make really great friendships with people and um, be rather successful. I got an A in my college uh, math class that I took nice. last year. I'm heading to my uh, first class of my second year of Exciting. college. Um, yeah. At uh, just after this uh, podcast recording, actually. <laughs> and you know, I feel like I've been a rather than, you know, missing out on rather than being, you know, denied like socialization. Um, I feel like I've, I've gotten a lot of really great socialization and also that I've missed out on a lot of negative so socialization that I might've gotten in a more traditional environment. I would agree. Um, Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, I've, and, you know, cla uh, classes like theater and um, public speaking classes have really helped me uh, to learn how to speak up for myself and how to be heard. And while I've, and while I've been, you know, quiet for a good portion of this uh, podcast, um, to let, you know, my mother speak to, uh, raising an autistic child rather than me speaking to being an autistic child. I have no pr problem speaking to being an autistic child or speaking. And that might be a later podcast. I would love to have maybe one time mom, mom talk about something you're like, and this is how I interpreted it. And this is mom's like, this is what I did. And James is this is did. Or maybe James is like, this is what happened in my life. And, and you're like, this is how I interpreted it and how I helped him through it. Or do you know what I mean? Like this would be a really great future podcast, but I know James, you have to go to class and I want to give you a little bit of time to collect yourself. Cause I know I would need it. And thank you so much, Lorianne for coming. I am so grateful to have you both here and I look forward to doing another podcast, maybe having, we had talked about maybe at some point doing an open zoom so that parents can just come and ask you guys questions because all I know my parents that I work with have tons of questions of like, and they, they're, they're just rambling in their heads and being like having a seasoned mom who's done this and seasoned parents 
And, and even hearing your perspective, James, will be gigantic for them. So with that said. Yeah, we, uh, parents like that helped me get started, helped me and my husband get started with James. And just hearing that, that it will all work out in the end was huge. And the things like baby steps and uh, you don't need to carry your kid and all of those things, those came to me yeah. from other people who were experienced. And I would love to pass that those ideas along. Uh, well, thank you again so much. I am so uh, appreciative of your time and actually doing this twice because I didn't know how to record the first time. And <laughs> we will definitely have you again. I am so uh, grateful to have you be part of the, the Divergent Zone. I'm sure we will hear a lot more from you in the future. Bye. All right. Thank you Thank so much you. for having us here today. Thank you so much.